It was such a pleasure speaking to Sebastian Pohl, co-founder of Pucker Herbs. And I might have mentioned quite a few times how much I love a good cup of tea. I also did perhaps dob Frank in for the arguments that we have as all the herbal teas fall on the counter as each morning I try and make a cuppa. But that didn't take away from the beautiful conversation that we had. And one of the things that sprung to mind was how many businesses start by chance. And here Sebastian speaks so fondly about when Tim puts an ad in a magazine and Sebastian answers it. And in a way, as they say, the rest is history. And of course, throughout the entire interview, both Sebastian and I were sipping on our pucker tea of choice. Make sure you make yourself a brew because you're going to enjoy this one. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Sebastian. What a pleasure it is to meet you. Now, you won't know this, but you're the man that causes quite a few arguments in my kitchen each morning. And the reason being is that the tea bags, the sort of builder's teas at the front, and all my pucker teas are behind. And what happens, I know, but that's where the boys put it downstairs. And what happens each morning is when they go to get it, my pucker teas all fall out. And then we have this whole conversation about pucker tea each morning. So brand advocacy here. We've got pucker tea being said every single morning. So I just thought I'd let you know that, that this morning it happened again. Great. Well, thank you. And great to meet you. And highest honour in my life that so many people start their day with a cup of pucker tea. I'm an avid fan and I know so many people listening will be. I wanted to get um, those who listen regularly to this podcast right to the beginning part of the story because I would love you to share firsthand how this love affair with Herb started because it started when you were 18. Am I right in saying this? Really, yeah. It wasn't a sort of road to Damascus moment. It was a collation of quite a few aspects of my life. A combination of getting a bit ill, yeah, working out that plants can help me get better, exploring my diet, working out that what I ate changed how I felt. And, you know, as I became a, a young man, an overwhelming fascination in the awe of nature, really, you know. So it was a combination of those things. You were 18 and you were actually travelling across India in your gap year. You weren't near any chemist or anything like that. And this is when, basically, you had to rely on a herbalist. This was the sort of moment, wasn't it, that you were saying? This is when you sort of realised the power of herbs. Yeah, it was definitely a significant moment when, you know, being brought up using conventional medicine and conventional lifestyle. And um, I go and see 
local Ayurvedic practitioner and he gives me some simple herbs, licorice, amla, shatavri, some quite uh, well-known Ayurvedic plants. And I got better very quickly. It was like another door opening. It's like, oh, there's another world there as well. You know, this world's great and I love all this, but let's walk through that door and see what's there. And that took me on a big journey to become vegetarian, study yoga, study Ayurveda. So yeah, it was great. Good illness to have that one. Yes, you actually don't mind that one. And this experience, as I said, we had this massive sort of impact, not only to the love of herbs, but you then went to study Indian religion, Hindi at university, and then you totally immersed yourself in the study of herbalism. I'm going to try and get this word right. Excuse me if I don't. Chinese medicine and either Zendic medicine? Ayurvedic. Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine. And you were also working as a gardener at an organic farm during this time. And so looking back now, running a company, promoting a sustainable use of herbs, did you ever worry that at the time, that however fascinating this knowledge was that you were gaining, that these skills were quite niche for the sort of real world? Uh No, not really. I think everyone else around me did. No, you know, when you love something, Holly, and you just, you know, it nourishes you so much and you know it's got a value. I couldn't believe that I hadn't learned about it. I I was just like, what's going on in our society that we're not taught the basics of, you know, cooking with lots of herbs for your health or including basic things for helping your sleep or stress or digestion or whatever. And so I felt a bit cheated Mm. and I knew that there was a value in it. And I, I just knew that... If you grew plants properly, you put them together in the right way, you could help people have something not just super delicious, but super healthy and good for them as well. It was a big, became a massive passion and I, I just knew it was the right thing to do. It's so interesting, Sebastian, because actually so many people that speak on this podcast talk about this lack. You know, if I have to like sort of have a golden thread through some of our guests, it is this unbelievable lack of knowledge that we're giving our young in basics, just the absolute fundamental basics. But I'm I'm wondering if potentially the pandemic that we live in at this point in time might kickstart a few things that are different. And I, I'd love to touch on that at the end of this podcast. But going back to your journey, you finished your studies and you were taking trips back to India with the thought that if you could develop a tea, you could definitely improve upon the fruit teas that were around at that time. And I can only imagine what they were like. So was the idea for a business in your mind then? And that you could actually market something new? Because I read when researching you for this podcast that at the time you thought that the commercial world was quite cutthroat and it was one that lacked values. I think I was just sort of naive, ignorant, and had that sort of passion of youth, that idealism where I was like, this is not doing justice to the tradition of herbalism, the teas that were available. Tea sector was hardly organic at all. There was you know, little talk of sustainability, um, there was little talk of the quality that you get within the plants as well. It wasn't really about setting up a business. It was about following that mission that uh, grew up in me, really. And to find, you know, the, the business was a vehicle for expressing that mission. And it just happened to be something colourful and beautiful and delicious, which is great. But it feels like there's an instinctive relationship we have with nature and plants and that we've quite drastically diluted that over the last 50, 100 years or so. 
And I just think it's a, a great addition into your day. It's just a simple thing to include. You had this pretty eclectic life so far, and it sort of seemed to come together. Might you tell the story of what happened? Because there was this twist of fate, wasn't there, that brought you and Tim together, and it really made me laugh. Well, I'd been looking at how to contribute to the world in a more positive way, and talking about service is something I'd like to talk about in terms of how you find your passion and your purpose. And I had all these ideas, and they were bubbling around, but nothing was happening. And I uh, one day picked up this magazine called uh, The Venue, which is Bristol's sort of local gig rag, a bit like Time Out. I'd never picked it up before, and I was leafing through it because I wanted to go to a concert. And there was this advert that's saying, you know, I can help your business grow organically. And I was like, that sounds good. It's got two words I'm interested in. <laughs> I, I rang up and it was Tim at the other end, and we've spoken. I invited him round for a cup of tea in my little cottage I lived in. And he came round and... Um, we're both pretty trusting, go with the flow type of people. And um, I met him. He had a commercial background and was fed up with it, really, and wanted to do something with more meaning. So we, we met up, had a few walks, a few discussions. I gave him a few of the teas that I'd been making. We went down to the cash boy machine, got some money out on my credit card. I didn't have a credit card. I applied for a credit card to get some money out. <laughs> and uh, we started with a, you know, a few thousand pounds and we sort of, begged and borrowed and uh, our way through the first initial bit. Am I right in saying that you were the only person that responded to Tim's ad? Yes, that's a very relevant point. <laughs> no one else responded, so I suppose I didn't know that for quite a few years, I have to say. You know, having a business partner is an interesting area to think about as well with people setting up in business because often you can have the idea, but you know, turning it into reality really needs to happen and Two brains are often better than one, but you know, you've got to make sure you're really aligned in your values and what your direction is you're both imagining you're going in. We didn't articulate that till a few years later, but luckily it was pretty parallel. And so that's all been good. Having had a business partner setting up Not in the High Street and having business partners at Holly & Co, I totally believe, like you, that more minds, but it's, it's almost the golden thread, the value, the mission has to be so aligned, but yet actually... That is the only thing that slightly needs to be aligned, potentially. Actually, everyone needs to be bringing different skills to the table because that's where I've seen business partners go wrong. They're sort of two peas in a pod. They both do exactly the same thing, but they don't have the yin to yang sort of experience. Would you agree? Definitely. You, you want to bring those skills in. Ideas are relatively easy to come up with. Turning that into reality, you need a wide skill set. Regardless of who your partners are, you're going to need to bring in good people for all aspects of business. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's highly uh, detailed. You know, the more expertise you can attract and work with and inspire, the, you know, the easier uh, your journey will be. And I always remember, you know, I was a dyslexic and Sophie, my business partner at Notton High Street, she could actually probably rewrite the English dictionary. <laughs> she felt that confident in it. It's these lovely things that you can bring to the table, two perspectives on the same values, same mission, same purpose, that then makes it very magical. Tell me how you actually started the brand, because one of the feedbacks in this podcast is businesses are listening and they're like, but how did you start? Like literally start? Because this brand now is sort of what we all have on our breakfast table. But actually, at the time, I'm assuming you guys were sitting around the kitchen table. I mean, how did you come up with the name? And was that the name that instantly came to you? Or did you have a few lucky misses? <laughs> we definitely had a few lucky misses. 
we came up with pucker because of you know my background speaking uh, hindi and a lot of our inspiration came from indian medicine and it's a word that means genuine or authentic or tasty the power of a name holly i mean gosh it really holds you in good stead when you're you know you've got difficult decisions to make and you want to hold true to them yeah who you are is a powerful guide and so i'm i'll be eternally thankful we chose that apart from that it's a really good fun word it's strong with a couple of k's in it we knocked around a few uh, words and ideas we just sort of went for it you know i made up some teas in my kitchen we bought i think our first lot of herbs we bought as a blend was about 50 kilos tim's neighbor was a designer so he did a little deal for us on the designs Getting in early with a small business as a service provider is, is a great thing. You know, people really helped us on a way and we, in the main, not with everybody, but in the main, we've stayed with everybody for the last 20 years or so. So um, that's been good. People are generous, I find. To, if you're enthusiastic and people can, they trust your, not just your enthusiasm, but your integrity. It's not just mm. a sales pitch. And they like the idea. It gives them value. If you've got a business and you can help someone else get going, it's rewarding, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's what I'm doing here now. In a way, you know, it's yeah. how do you encourage people to do what they, what they love and what they can fulfill? So we really just cobbled it together. It was pretty rough and ready. We blagged a few favours. We just went round Bristol, you know, to the local health food shops. Literally went in and sold your tea. Yeah, I mean, Tim is, uh, you know, gifted on many fronts, but he's definitely gifted at engaging people and got a very human quality so he was very good at getting people to taste it and then I could explain what it was all about so it was it was good from that point of view. In a way what I love about this story is it's just that simple story about you went with your product and you literally took it places and you sold it you didn't rely on a middleman you didn't do any of these sorts of things and I think there's something very vulnerable about it very genuine. When you feel a founder's spirit, you know that this is not about the money. You know that this is about something else. And as you said, if you can help people latch into that, almost come with you on that journey, that is just the magic, wouldn't you say, about a brand? Come with us for the journey because this is real. We believe in it. This is how we live our lives. And I, I know that you um, had a lucky miss even though I actually quite like this name, nearly calling it Holy Cow. No, it wasn't a serious contender. It just sort of was, you know, <laughs> floating to the top of the cream, so to speak. But uh, it didn't quite make it. We were just, you know, knocking about different ideas and names. And as I say, Tim's neighbour, you know, was in design and in branding. I mean, I didn't really know what a brand was. And in fact, we've sort of banned the name brand at Pucker. Oh, tell me about this. It's not banned as such, but why say brand? It's about the purpose and the mission and the vision. A brand is, it's an identity, it's a culture, it's a movement. Why not call it those things? And if you're thinking of setting up a business, how do you make it do exponential good? You know, how do you make it do the job you want to do, whatever that might be, making X, Y, Z? But how does it then serve all the people in your value chain? How does it really do good for your customers' lives? How do you spread that a bit further? And a brand feels like almost something that's artificially created. Yes. It's like one's sort of, molding something to make it look like something whereas what you really want to do is make it an expression if not of yourself but of the culture of that group of people yes. and then you get something where you don't have to worry about how people are going to behave or you know engage when they're out because they're like your 
family maybe is a little bit too close, but you know, you definitely got very you know tight bonds. Extended family. Yeah, absolutely. What I love about this is because brand is something that so many people want to hear about. I've started calling it the life force. Mm. You know, it's the life force. It's this sort of burning light that is what we all sort of intrinsically try and follow and protect. You know, that is what is special about this. And as you grow, if you're doing the right things, the life force will burn brighter. Just because sometimes I think in corporate life, brand, you have a brand team, but no one else should be on brand. Do you know what I mean? Like that's for the brand team. And I'm like, you know, actually the head of finance should be understanding what the life force is. Yeah. It's, it's something, isn't it, that slightly our words in business need to evolve. You know, what is marketing? What is brand? And it's just one of these things that I'm on a mission, Sebastian, to try and help that. I don't know if I'll end up succeeding. But I do want to try and sort of evolve how we define things within business. Is, is that something you would, would you sign up with me to do this? I will. <laughs> I'm all ears. You know, it's helpful to have a common language. That's important. Yeah. I find some of the language that's used in business very sort of militaristic and disrupting markets and penetrating market share. I mean, I can't handle it myself. I know that they're common language, but I don't like the idea of disrupting a market. I don't want to upset another company and all yeah. their stuff. All they're doing, why? Yeah. I, want yeah. to, I want to maybe do a bit better than them. I can't help being competitive. Yeah. And I want to maybe enhance and improve on what they've done and offer something better to the world. But, um, you know, I think it's just you have to find that way within your team, your group, what works, basically. And I like using the word life force because actually in traditional medicine, prana is the word in, in Ayurveda for life force. And it is the thing which upholds all of life, really. Protects your energy, protects your immunity, supports your metabolism. I think it's a good way of looking at a business, really, because a business is a being in a way. It's like a sort mm. of, it's like a live, it's a live being and it needs feeding and nurturing and a bit of cleaning every now and then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dressing up for the odd party. But I do see a lot of businesses as they're alive in a way. And yeah. so they, they need that attention. And I think the language you use is very important. And depending on what sort of business you are and what you want to do, I think that that language then feeds out into your customers having good relationships where that life force is two-way or multi-dimensional and uh, flows up and downstream, so to speak, is a real advantage. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. So every week we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a whole range of topics, including how to protect your product from being copied, which is exactly what I'm talking about here. So I've got a few questions and I've got some comments. This is slightly free legal advice, everyone here. And poor Ollie's going to be caught here. I used to do a Mythbusters session back in the pre-COVID world when there used to have people in the office. And is there seven points of difference? Uh, it's all a myth. If I can yes. tell you one thing to leave from this, you can't just make five changes or whatever from another product and not be copying it. It all depends. It's a qualitative test as to whether a substantial part of that product has been changed. It doesn't matter if you've changed 80 pieces if actually the substantial part has still been taken and also what you have is not going to be protectable if you've just copied it so if it's not your original thing and you've just taken someone else's idea then you don't have any right on yes to protect you that. don't so, have any right as well 
For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram as we tackle a different area of business. With a continued commitment to empower you, Dell are giving away a tech in a box every week. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co, where you'll also find loads of tangible advice on everything from marketing to brand and HR, all thanks to Dell. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I read that you didn't do any market research at the beginning. I'm interested in that. Sophie and I stood outside one tube station, did one survey. Do you know what I mean? And that was the extent because we intrinsically knew and we didn't actually have anything to copy. What would you say about that? Sort of this idea of having to know your market, having to know the customers. Crikey. Well, I'm glad we didn't, because if we had, we wouldn't have started because you look at it and you're like the numbers and the mountain to climb and you've got domination of 70% of a market or whatever. When we came in, I'll be like, oh, we didn't have any money to do it. And we, Tim and I wouldn't have known how to do it anyway. I do think research, though, is a great thing and we couldn't operate today without it. When you're starting out, I mean, you know, I don't think I can generalise totally, but it, it wouldn't have served us anything at all doing it because some of the creations we've made, if you follow market data, we never would have brought out because there's no data for love tea <laughs> <laughs> or peace tea. You know, it's like a joke almost. So no one was doing some of the things we we're doing and it can, it can limit you, I think, because if you follow the data, it, by definition, you're always behind what's already there. Yes. So why not try and add to it? You know, use it. I think it's all useful, you know, mm-hmm. giving business terminology a bad a turn a little minute ago. But uh, I think the data's, it's obviously useful, but just use it wisely and don't let it dictate who you are. It's a bit like fashion trends or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. follow them, but be yourself. You know, just be true to yourself, I think, is the main way. And then you can answer for your mistakes and your victories. One thing I know that you and Tim were very aligned with was your vision. We spoke about at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, the business needed a higher purpose. It needed to make positive change. And, you know, we now recognise it as this circular economy or as a conscious business. And we see that the world of business is changing finally and that companies are thriving to use their profits to drive change. And I'm thinking that the time you spent in India potentially, you know, gave you that insight into what now is sort of recognised, paying farmers, growing directly, fairly paying them in rural communities. Was that hard to hold on to? Did you have to compromise at the beginning? I think we were idealistic. And so we probably didn't think we were compromising, but we probably weren't being as, you know, as pure as we would have liked. Yes. But we, we were starting out with an ideal from our herb side of view, there just weren't some of the organic herbs we wanted. We had to go and set that up. And so that was something, you know, there was no organic string available. I know it's a little thing, but, you know, I was obsessed with it being an organic string on our tea bag. And we went for it. We haven't really had to compromise it. No, I mean, there's there's always choices, aren't there, around the cost of things and the margin you make and how much value you can bring back, what you can redistribute. But our idea was to build a model so that everyone would benefit. You know, as a business... There's nothing wrong with making a profit. We want businesses to make a profit. If they're not making a profit, they won't be paying people and tax and things. So that's a good thing. But you want that profit to come from fair redistribution so that there's living wages, et cetera, throughout your chain and that the environment is looked after. So in that sense, 
I think it's back to the basics. You know, we were lucky in a way that we managed to create something where we could come in at a premium in the market that was only a little bit over, but also deliver something that was genuinely original and different. I'm going to generalize here, but I'd say the whole drinks industry is missing a trick in terms of how they're sourcing their ingredients because it's, mm. it's a major source of nutrition for people. And very few companies are organic or growing it in a sustainable way. I mean, people will mention the word sustainability, but it's sustainability light. Yes. You know, yes. it really is. And it's like, yeah, tick box land. But, you know, where is that real drive from the adults in the chair to make the world as we want it? And I, I'm disappointed. I really am. Having been involved in the privilege of being involved in the organic industry for 20 years, you know, UK food's only at about 2%. We only buy 2% of our food organically, Holly. It is literally a joke. We should be embarrassed. Oh. You know, we're not looking after the environment or the farmers and paying them properly or our people by giving them proper nutritious food. And so it is a disappointment to me that the government doesn't give it more support and that we as a nation look down on things that are done in a way that is holistic in a way. It's sort of seen mm -hmm. as a bit woo-woo. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and yeah. Anyway, I was a slight sidetrack there. Sorry, but it just feels important to no, me. No, gosh, yeah. it's it's so important. I mean, tell me how you actually set this up because people who are growing your herbs to maintain their pride, their identity, to see value in their livelihoods so that the young kids don't run off to the city to seek a better future. You know, this is a life force. When you know that this is the value behind a brand that you buy in a supermarket... This is why you spend your money and you vote with your money for a better future. But was that difficult for you, Sebastian, to set these things up? I mean, did you have any knowledge on how to, you know, for me, that would have just scared the bejeebas out of me. You, you seem far, far smarter. But to go and actually set up farms and to actually do this, cutting out that middleman. It was pure ignorance, really, of what an agricultural system looks like. I mean, I knew a bit about farming. It was really the growers we went to meet. You know, they were already the experts in growing. Right. And, and we knew about the herbs. So we could say, look, this is how you grow this plant. But they already, they know their weather systems. They know the, you know, times of rain, etc. So we would do a lot of work on the post-harvest processing. That's the sort of quite tricky thing with plants, actually. And which country are we talking about now? India, Egypt, Vietnam. You know, they, they were already farmers. So we weren't really yeah. setting up farms. We weren't buying land and such like that. We were just finding partners. And so we'd find, uh, our model really was to find like a major partner in country. Mm -hmm. And then, we'd you know, they'd have enough. A resource to have a warehouse yep. and uh, to get an export license, which is, you know, obviously technical, but uh, lots of people and smaller farmers wouldn't be able to do that. And then through their network, we'd go and meet their range of farmers and they might be doing, I don't know, growing rice or mangoes or something like that. And I was like, I just knew that in their field margins, a bit like in the UK, we've got elderflower or nettle or dandelion. I knew they'd have some of the specialist Ayurveda herbs we we're looking for, and then we could bring them from the hedgerow into the field and there are herb suppliers as well we had good partners as well that were keeping us going i mean yeah one of our biggest challenges is how do we keep up with our growth you know our first year we probably bought you know a couple of hundred kilos and now we're in many thousands of tons so that's been a, such a rewarding area for me and have you kept with the same people all this time? Or I mean, I'm, I can imagine things have to change over time. But have you got any wonderful stories of, uh, as you said, you brought people along with your journey. So you must have some stories about how well some of these places have done. Oh, amazing. I mean, you know, I've seen the young kids grow up on the farm and now they're, now they're running it and things. It's, no, it's been amazing. I mean, you've seen people 
being able to uh, have the confidence to invest in their land and that they're not, you know, most farmers are working on a seasonal cycle of the best money they can get for that yep. uh, harvest that year. Whereas if, you know, we can give them a three-year forecast and a commitment to buy, then they would have that confidence. Yes. Oh, so many. Th- and we've all learned along the way. You know, it was we were sort of all of our partners on the farming side. They were passionate about organic and a new world and biodiversity and, you know, water uh, table protection, etc. And so we've all all been learning and it's been a network. It really is a sort of mycelial network of how have we created this sort of matrix of, like you say, life force, self-regenerative. So it all feeds itself. I don't want to paint it too beautifully. You know, there have been a couple yeah, of bumps. Like, <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> we've, uh, <laughs> we've lost a lot of, you know, there's been crop losses, you know, climate change is a massive issue, pricing, big challenge uh, around that fairness of that. So it's mm-hmm. affordable on the shelf for our customer in the UK, yes. but also get good value back to the grower. So, you know, it's the two highlights are really, you know, so many people enjoying uh, something you've made every day mm-hmm. that you know is doing them good. And the the fact that you know you're, you're creating income and livelihoods for thousands of people at the other end and the satisfaction they get from that kind of cultural diversity. They're mm. not just growing, I don't mean just wheat or just rice. They're not just mm. growing commodity crops. They're growing something that's important to their heritage and their culture, whether it's ginger, turmeric, ashwagandha uh, or nettles or lime flower in Europe. You know, we, we grow herbs all across Europe as well. But also that tradition of wild harvesting, Holly. Mm. A quarter of all the herbs in the world come out of the wild. Wow. So there are a lot of marginalized communities that don't own land, that they are, they, you know, they live at the edge of society economically and uh, socially and geographically, you know, the, yeah. uh, the tree line, yeah. so to speak. And they, you know, all our elderflower, nettle, dandelion, elderberry, rose hips, all this stuff comes out of the wild. It's not, most of it's not cultivated. Protecting these communities, well, just getting to meet them and their yeah. livelihoods was an amazing reward. So that's, there's a, big scheme called uh, Fair Wild that um, I'm a, a trustee on their board and uh, it's an amazing project that's really looking at how you enhance the as I was saying the livelihoods of these wild collectors but also the, the ecosystems they live in mm. and that's what organic mm. does you know that's the same thing protect our ecosystem you know from a business point of view it's very simple mathematics you look after your your asset yep and uh, you you invest it wisely I mean it's just too obvious and I I'm not quite getting how should we say you know FTSE 500 100 whatever is getting all the all the credit for being the leaders in business when the, the simple maths is not being taken into account and our balance sheet is getting rapidly depleted from a purely economic point of view we've got to find a way as lots of businesses are doing people are doing but we've got to find a way to do it rapidly i mean let's face it we've got 10 years to stop yeah or to have in motion the fact that we don't take the carbon in the atmosphere or the temperature in the world over 1.5. So we need to do that now. And so I'd love to see more drastic action. I really would. Totally and utterly. I mean, it just infuriates me how so many wonderful founders who are having their different, you know, their own experiences within their own industries are all asking for the same thing. And yet we seem to be building businesses, having such an impact on society and yet not listened to. And so it's something that is burning. It's, as I said, you're the 101th uh, guest on my uh, my podcast. I feel like just bringing everyone together and just doing something. It's just, oh gosh. Tell me, uh, you you talked about 
the farmers, their world, changing their worlds. What about changing our worlds as consumers? How did you start to tell people? I mean, you knew you were sick in India, you visited a herbalist, you had this first-hand experience. But what about just the normal, average person? How were you, you know, when you need to teach customers about your brand? What was that journey like? Herbs are great for your health and you have a lovely cup of tea. Well, it's been a bit difficult because you're not allowed to make health claims. So there's a severe you know, restriction on our freedom of speech there regarding the long tradition. I mean, it's, it's with some good reasons, potentially, but that, that's been a bit difficult. Um, but really, we did it through experience. You know, one of the best ways to engage people in plants is through their senses. And whether that's a child going out with a magnifying glass and looking at the yeah. patterns in a dandelion on the lawn, or as an adult and tasting something new that you might never have experienced, like really good peppermint. Yeah. That is a novel experience because there isn't a lot of it around or, um, you know, what some turmeric might taste like or putting more you know, herbs in your food. So it was experiential is how we did it one way. Everyone wants to know about their health. Yeah. We're our best doctor. We need a doctor, professional doctor's advice to guide us, of course. But we really know if we're tired or if we're not sleeping well or if digestion isn't good. And plants have been at the at the heart of you know human endeavor and well-being forever and so there is this uh, sort of almost ancestral instinctive relationship so uh, to answer your question more specifically we went out and did lots of lectures tim and i used to go out and we'd, we'd cook a meal for everybody serve it on banana leaf plates and give a lecture on what pucker was about and um what herbalism was about and then We'd, you know, go around the stores, independent stores, super supporters of Pucker and the health food movement over, you know, the last three decades or so, educate there. And I suppose I wrote a few books as well. That yes. was another way one could do that. So I wrote something called A Pucker Life, which was really yes. to explain a, a Pucker tea and a supplement in a book. And telling stories, really, I suppose, is the, the best way. And, 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 mm. and tapping into the things that fascinated us, which was... I don't know how many chamomile flowers you had to grow to get one kilo. I mean, you know, the numbers are sort of astronomical of all these <laughs> things that are hand-picked. You just can't believe how much work goes into it. So, yeah, just trying to tell stories, really, to engage yeah. people. And also make it look beautiful. You know, we had to, we worked with an amazing uh, designer, David, and our, our team, our brand team at Pucker, our marketing team. You know, we had loads of great creative people at Pucker. We dressed it up, I suppose. Yes. We dressed the herbs up. We put them in their best party piece and we were like look they're the glory of nature dress them up and and make them look good and through some incredible fortune lots of people put them out in their kitchen mm. and then that became a, a thing that was colorful you could add to people's household it was a sort of unintended consequence of us putting so much money into making it wanting it to look so beautiful you know you could make a simple pack and we, we've did start off like that, but we really invested a lot of time and money in how to bring this representation of people, plants and planet together in, in our packaging. And that is something that is, um, I remember speaking to the design company who helped us with Holly & Co's look and feel, and he called it packvertising. He worked on when Dorset cereals <laughs> turned from so, sort of a, quite a oh, yeah. boring box to a, a box that actually, if you were renting out your home for a holiday let, you'd have a box of Dorset cereal. And I think it's exactly the same with Pucker Tea. It is something that is now 
beautiful. It's actually as much as your cushion, you have your boxes out of pucker tea. What I'm going to do now is make sure that they come out of the shelf for Frank and Harry. We will not have the arguments because I'm actually going to create a whole shelf for them actually that everyone can see. You have 100% certified organic down to, as you said, the cotton string on the tea bags. Your branding really cements, you know, it's 98% recyclable. I love the boxes have messages on the inside. The colours that you use reflect nature. It feels so cohesive. And I think let's not underestimate for those listening the power of free advertising, which is your packs, your outer shell of if you have a product. You know, it's hard to maybe sometimes stay true to your values of your business. Do you think it is everything should basically be guided by that? You should never alter your journey unless it is with your culture and values, with what you're doing? Or do you think that there are times at the beginning where you do have to sort of stray? Because it's quite difficult, isn't it? At that starting block, how you build a business for good. And do you think it's something that just grows over time? Well, I think you need to know what your values are, don't you? And you yeah. often when you start, you probably don't because yeah. it's more instinctive, potentially. You just need to pay the mortgage or the rent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it could just be those basics. <laughs> so values are a broad thing in a way. It could be my value is that I want to look after my family. Yeah. And, you know, and that's a perfectly acceptable yeah. value to have. Or, you know, I might want to just contribute this to my local community. It doesn't have to be some sort of massive global thing. It's also keeping values in perspective, you know, are you flying things around the world to bring stuff in quickly or are you using a little bit of plastic? I mean, you know, where's the hierarchy? So I think spend some time articulating mm-hmm. that is a good thing. And that might be worth doing yourself, obviously, but with people that know you, but also maybe professionally to really tease it out of you what your values are. I think that's, that's yeah. one of the most important things. And so answering your second part of that question, and yes, I think they do evolve. And I think that does grow. And I think you get better at knowing what they are over time and they can be added on. I mean, when we started, we um, didn't have a lot of fair trade certification. We only had some fair trade certification because yeah, whatever, we didn't know where yeah. to buy it or some of the places we were buying from didn't need it to be fair trade. But as we've grown, we've like, yeah, this is something we want to add on more. And we, we weren't a B Corp when we started because yes. it wasn't around and we weren't 1% for the planet. But these ideas came along. Other forward thinking creatives were coming up with ideas and we were like, how to embed in the goodness that we bring, that'll always be there, you know, so that we always bring that benefit. So I think it's it's fine if your values change. And at the moment, especially, I mean, you know, people are on lockdown or, you know, businesses are closing down. It might be nice to think about doing some of the things I've been speaking about, but there's maybe a more human element to think about immediately. One of the questions I'm asked the most is, am I able to provide mentoring? So I decided to write a book that does just that. It's called Do What You Love, Love What You Do. Throughout it, you can think of me as your virtual mentor, guiding you along your journey as if I was sitting right next to you, holding your hand, recounting my own fears, failures and lessons to help you succeed on your own path. I spent lockdown 2020 writing the ultimate small business Bible and wrote from the heart with your colour and creativity in mind. Whether you're at the very start of your journey or 20 years in, this is a business book like no other and it's written for you. From money fears to sharing my biggest mistakes so you don't have to, alongside my ultimate guide to brand and how to listen to your gut instinct. 
Do What You Love, Love What You Do is packed full of tangible advice alongside colour and creativity. And in a world first, its very own product collection. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is out on the 6th of May. Head to holly.co slash book to pre-order your copy now. You just mentioned B Corp. Um, We're submitting next week. We've spent one and a bit years getting there. We hope to be getting our certification this year because it's taken quite a while to get it through. And this is something that we're trying to take our small business community along with us. It's about accountability, transparency. It's about being a force for good in the world. What challenges have you faced being a force for good? Well, I think, you know, as soon as you say that you are, you know, you're judged to the points that you're not. Yes. So it's not like, yeah, we're 60% good. You know, it's, it's sort of you, you start looking at the 40% of the area that might be a problem in a way. And that's what I love I about I never thought about that. Yes, you're right. That's why I love third-party certification because you've got people that are real experts in, you know, social justice or yep. organic or yep. whatever it might be. And they come in and they point out that, yeah, this is, this is a, yeah, that's an idea you've got, but, you know, this might be a better way of doing it. What challenges? I mean, gosh. Every single one and every single thing I've talked about that I think we're doing well and that is a positive value, I'd say we face challenges in because in organic, the world's a contaminated place. Mm -hmm. You know, you turn up pesticides and products. We have to test every batch for, you know, over 600 pesticides. Um, In social areas, you know, we want to be promoting fair trade. You look down your value chain and you find challenges in local communities. And then there's your own people, you know, that you're working with. And I'm like, great, we might be fair trade out there, but are we fair trade? in the office yes you know then that becomes another issue that's what i'd really encourage if you're setting up a business don't mark your own exam paper yes okay get it so that you are supported yeah so you know set up a board or a group of advisors that are more expert than you find a way to find some people that can guide you objectively because you're every day you're in the in the wood scrummaging through to keep going and then get some professional whatever it is professional certification, whatever is, if, if it's fair trade or if it's yep. ISSO, you know, whatever is the relevant standard and grow with it, you know, take the knocks on the chin, listen, and then over that next year, improve that bit. And of course, you do that from your team as well and your staff and you get feedback that way and listen to the people you're working with about what you could do better. Yeah. And get ready if you're founding a business for your ego to be properly rubbed out and redrawn a few times. Yes. Because, you know, you, there's a lot to learn along the way and it's, like a lot of things in life that are worth doing, uh, it's hard work. You know, something that Tim and I have always been very keen on asking ourselves is, have we, have we grown as much as the business did last year? And I know that's a sort of yes. difficult thing to quantify, but if we grew it, we'd be very lucky growing at whatever, you know, 25, 30% a year for many years. But have we grown as individuals that much and as, as uh, leaders or as guides or whatever role it is? Gosh, what a great point. Giving back obviously is important to you. So in 2016, you became one of the first UK businesses to join the 1% for Planet Foundation. So that is donating at least 1% of all your annual turnover to environmental not-for-profit organisations. Can you just tell me about that and how... Is that something that you obviously couldn't maybe afford at the beginning? Well, it didn't probably exist at the beginning. But do you see what I mean? How did you balance that out in terms of the finances? You know, not going too soon, but when you can, is this again adding to that life force that we spoke about? I think it is. It's creating that awareness 
that in business we're using the earth's resources mm -hmm. whatever you do yeah if you're an accountant a lawyer if you're a farmer or you know whatever it is you're a trader we use the earth's resources in some way and and you know we don't have a publicly acknowledged tax for that in a way so for me one percent for the planet is not at all philanthropic it is purely you know it's the cost of doing business and we need right. to honor that and i Think you should build that in at whatever scale and whatever size you are because it's like a tithe and traditionally we would always have paid a cultural tithe maybe that would have been a religious one and but you know taking it off the top is pretty tough holly yeah you know taking it off your sales yeah. is a big commitment because you can't um should we say massage it at the on the bottom line so you know giving a percentage of your profits is as we know it's a good thing to do i'm not saying yeah. it isn't but it, it's a bit less uh, objective and so off the top is a, a great commitment. And it's also been a really good focus for the whole team to look at how we would then use that money and who do we want to partner with and, and how do we create more goodness from that. And you, so you get to choose, do you? So it's not like you just give the money and like the B Corp, do you know what I mean? That they take it. You actually as a brand get to choose because that's really wonderful, isn't it? That great for the team, I can imagine, great for the company culture. I mean, it's a lot more money than joining B Corp because you're depending on the size of your business, but it's, uh, you know, 1% of your annual revenue can start to generate some big cash. So it's been, uh, you know, set up by uh, Yvonne Chouinard, who was the founder of uh, Patagonia, and it's big in America and it's become a whole yes. sort of movement. Yes. You know, we were in the States and inspired, you know, I'm inspired by a lot of the herbal medicine movement and the health freedom movement in America so we just wanted to join in and it's been a great thing because it's, it's really focused where we can, like you say, spend the money. You can work with uh, local charities or, or NGOs. If they're not a part of 1% for the planet already, all you have to do is get them to register with 1% for the planet. Right. And as long as they meet the criteria, then you can give to anyone wow. that's local to you as well. That's brilliant. Tell me, in 2017, Pucker Herbs was bought by Unilever. And I think there was a lot of scepticism around this at the time, the contrast between the two businesses. And I'm sure you've been asked this countless times. But I know that small businesses community would be so interested to hear about why this was the right move for your company and brand. And along all of the guests that we've had on this podcast has been number, you know, Richard Reed from Innocent selling to Coca-Cola, all these sorts of things. There is a point, isn't there? And I, I would love to hear about how slightly, isn't it, what we talk, spoke about, about redefining business. Why are always do we think the Unilevers of the world are just so terrible, these giants? Whereas actually, I know that they are incredibly powerful, aren't they, when it comes to social and environmental change? So it would be wonderful to hear your, you know, that time in your life and what happened. Yes. Well, we got to this crazy place from, you know, having gone from my kitchen and Tim's spare bedroom with a couple of grand to being fastest growing organic herbal tea brand in the world. <laughs> uh, How so wonderful. We got there and we were like, what can we do with this opportunity? How can we do the maximum good in the shorter space of time? And we felt we needed to get that distribution that you get from working with a big player. Mm -hmm. But also, how can we sit at the table with somebody that's showing such signs of positive intent as Unilever is, not just socially, environmentally, etc. different ways of doing business? It's easy to be a mosquito in life, isn't it? And buzz around and think you're important and make a lot of noise, as I probably have at various times in my life. And it dawned on me that it's much more important to speak to the people that one might not be totally in agreement with, but you could align over direction. And 
it felt exciting mm. to have that opportunity to go and work with a big player that can make such radical transformation. Also, ironically, it is because you said at the beginning, you know, people think that big businesses are bad, etc. And that we want small businesses to be a bit rebellious and anarchistic in a way. Yes. And it's often seen as a sellout selling to a big company. But to me personally, it was actually the most anarchistic thing I could do. Because <laughs> the easiest thing for me was to stay in the glorious world of the organic, lovely, beautiful herbal community that is around, yeah. the environmental community, you know, so many remarkable people doing incredible things. The scariest thing for me to do was to step into that world that I, I didn't really know uh, directly to take Pucker to a whole other level I never could have imagined. So that's what we decided to do and that's what we're doing and that's what's happening basically. The, you know, that Pucker's growing fantastically, bringing our positive health solutions around the world, but also we're able to engage with one of the world's uh, most influential businesses regarding these topics that I've been talking around, mm. social justice and truly regenerative organic farming. So that's been very rewarding to have that opportunity. Oh, God, you've inspired the socks off me today. I just could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. Tell me, Sebastian, in this lockdown, has your creative juices been going and your entrepreneurial spirit? Have you? What have you been up to? Well, along with supporting Pucker, I've been setting up a online newspaper called Herbal Reality, which is all about the wonders and the challenges within herbalism. And then I've been growing a herb garden for many years. And with a, a great friend of mine, I've set up a business with him called Earth Song Seeds. And we're selling small packets of medicinal seeds to get people growing plants at home. Fantastic. Whatever they want to do, make their own oils or teas or things like that. Amazing. So just remind me of the names again. So we and we can just visit this all online, can we? Yeah, herbalreality.com uh, is online. And then earthsongseeds.co.uk. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be logging on straight away. Thank you. Um, I end all the interviews, Sebastian, with this sort of analogy that running your own business is like being on an epic roller coaster. And for you, you definitely have a cup of herbal tea in your hand. You have long hair. I'm seeing the wind going through your hair. The, the cart, though, on its way up does have dips. Can you tell me what you would say has been your greatest slow on this journey? Well, apart from, you know, a couple of personal tragedies, to be honest, it was the day that I sold Pucker. Yeah. You know, that was the saddest moment in my journey. But I felt it was the necessary thing to do as well. It's, a, mm -hmm. you know, if you love a bird, let it fly free. Yeah. And I felt that Pucker's got the best chance having a whole group of people 100% focused on that journey in the future. And, I, you know, I'm still a, a central part of it and, you know, yes. love, love taking part in that journey, but it's just on a slightly different level now. Yeah. We were always short of money, I suppose, and that was always a stress. You know, we started with £4,000, quickly ended up with a few million pounds overdraft without any capital assets. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having some of that uh, removed uh, yeah. is, is, a, is a real advantage. But yeah, that was that was the saddest thing. I can empathise there. And conversely, your greatest high when you're drinking the right herbs and you're flying high. Can you tell me, is there a moment that you can picture? So many peak moments on this journey, Holly. I'm not very good at hierarchies, but, you know, made so many friends around the world. But if it was a moment, it was probably uh, when we had this big party, our 10th birthday party. It was just a fantastic feeling of lots of us suppliers, our partners, our team, of course, and lots of our friends we were working with. Just an incredible feeling of harmony, creativity and passion. 
and we had a great time. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you did it. That's the amazing thing. And it's just been, what a tremendous morning I've had to speak to you. Um, absolute inspiration to me. And I know you've given so many tips and pieces of advice through this podcast. And thank you for giving me your time today. It's just an absolute honour, honestly. It's this time of the podcast where I'm going to hand over to you, though, because you've prepared a letter to your younger self. And I don't know what you're going to say, but I just want to thank you on behalf of myself and all of those who are listening for sharing a little bit of your soul with us today. So thank you, Sebastian. Thank you for everything you do as well. All the great inspiration you're sharing. Thank you. So, um, Okay, here we go. Dear younger me, it's been a while since we've been in touch and I've been having a remarkable time living your life with you. There's so much we have to talk about. As it turns out, you've been born at the most incredible time and place in history, possibly the best time to ever live in. So much opportunity lies at your feet, but get ready for the contradictions and disparities in our world. You'll see remarkable transformations and improvements across society, really incredible progress. And you'll also see some terrible unfairness, horrible cruelty, and the general dregs of what makes us human. Life is full of contradictions, with plenty of unintended consequences to navigate. So get ready to ride the wave of uncertainty and deal with the perfect imperfection that lies ahead. The little bits I know about the journey of our ancestors and relatives tells me that you have a creative time ahead. But if the adults look like they are sometimes behaving like children, it's because just getting older isn't a guarantee of maturity, intelligence or even wisdom. So do try and be kind to them. But if they do need telling, make sure you do tell them. Never miss the chance of speaking truth to power. We all develop and evolve in different ways at different levels at different times in our life. And if there are things you don't like, then make it your plan to not repeat them. And where people's habits are admirable, absorb them as part of your own inner compass for how to live a good life. And when life asks a lot from you, for it surely will, and it is a stretch to meet that challenge, then take heart in your instinct, friends and family, for they will help get you through. As you will learn, love and time are the best healers. You don't know it yet, but a remarkable blessing is coming your way, and you'll be invited in to join the ancient tradition of healing that we call herbalism today. You'll be gifted the collective insights that our ancestors have gathered about healing plants and spend your life studying, experimenting, growing and practicing with them. After all, as the majority of our food, clothing and medicines come from plants, it's an exciting and essential area to know about. The majesty, wonder and bounty of nature will lead you on a path of unimaginable discovery. But as you may well now know, to those who much is given, much is expected. This tradition of understanding the vital qualities of nature, the language of nature if you like, is what makes herbal medicine a gift for all humanity. So do make sure you care for it well. The tide of our cultural thinking will be against you. So find a way to build relationships. Listen to the views of others. And then make sure you do what you think is the best thing to do. As you grow up, you'll come to understand that as we pursue progress, we will also cause huge problems. Between the day you were born when Apollo 11 took off of the moon back in July 1969, to the time you're my age today, Humanity will have ravaged nature before your very eyes. 
I know you're far too interested in climbing trees and playing cricket to be a budding naturalist quite yet, but you may well weep if I tell you that the population of all the mammals, birds, fish and insects in the world will shrink by over 50% in your lifetime. Half of them gone. One in five plants in the world are also threatened with extinction. So look around and take note of what you see and hear. For much of the world you live in today will not be there for long. You may well wonder what those in power are doing. On which note, if you ever happen to set up a business, and let me share a word or two, start with a big idea, a powerful idea, a life-enhancing idea, something that will bring benefit to the world, something that will bring you energy. You will spend the majority of your waking adult life at work, so make it meaningful and fun and purposeful. Do something that will improve on what is already there. Especially take note to nurture the people you work with. Ideas are ten to the dozen, but turning a dream into reality takes a community. Invest in everyone's personal as well as professional journey and help them fulfill their potential. Create a chain of reciprocal and incremental value so that everything your work does brings distributed benefit. Make sure your business works in a regenerative loop. Whatever resource it uses, make sure it gives directly and appropriately back to the people, plants and planet. You must never fear a lack of love, for you'll know it in abundance, from your amazing family and friends to the millions of Pucker fans enjoying your teas and supplements every day. Sit with that, hold that, really let it in, and try not to let the volume of work get in the way of all the fun. Prioritise the things you love, walking, dancing, digging. You have such a cheery and cheeky spirit. Don't let life knock that out of you. And laugh, laugh, laugh especially yourself and the constant wonder of life. So my advice for a fast-track guide of how to live a good life is following some of the wisdom of the Indian philosophy of Ayurveda, the art and science of life. This is really all about engaging with and celebrating the rhythms, cycles and patterns in life. Immerse yourself in the study of nature, hone your senses, understand your body, explore your consciousness, experiment all the time, Practice, practice, practice what you want to be good at. Talent is not necessarily inherited. And keep to the simple rules of life. They're foundational. Be kind, appreciate the moment, eat your greens, and give back what you take. And just as you shouldn't take anything for granted, work hard for those things you believe in. Service is what it's all about. A powerful sense of place and purpose arise out of following the things you love. And at the very least, if it doesn't work out, you will have been true to your intent. Try not to care too much about what others think about you. You're responsible for it all the way. At least how you respond to life's happenstance will be. The point being that you have a choice and a chance, so go for it. All my love, Sebastian. Oh. <laughs> oh, as if I could... That feeling of interviewing you couldn't even be more enhanced with this letter. It felt like... A modern take on business, when we spoke about how human business should be, there is a letter from a founder who has created something phenomenal, has been on the true business journey, whatever that is, and yet you sum up the way that you speak. It's so human. It's so true. Just inspiring to listen to. Thank you so, so much. And I think that anyone right now listening to this podcast, you need to rewind and go and listen to the letter again, because there was so many pieces in there that 
I'm going to do that over and over again. Thank you so much, Sebastian, for sharing that with us. That was just absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. 